0: Welcome to Inks, the Founders Project with Alexa von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnBass, author of New York Times best-selling book Financially Fearless and second book Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host Alexa von Tobel, and this week I'm excited for you to meet you and Blair. Founder and CEO of Multiverse, a tech startup on a mission to create a diverse group of future leaders by building an outstanding alternative to university and corporate training. UN started Multiverse in 2016 and out of the gate has offered apprenticeships to diverse young pool of adults and those looking to reskill. Today, Multiverse works with 1,000 organizations, helping them embrace digital transformation, close skill gaps, and develop a digital diverse talent pipeline they have now trained over 10,000 apprentices who have benefited from individualized coaching, applied learning, and a community of social networking and leadership opportunities. Last summer, Multiverse announced their Series D funding with a valuation of $1.7 billion, and they are the UK's first EdTech unicorn. And with that, let's welcome you and I'm so happy to see you again. I'm so happy to have you on today. Such a pleasure. I just want to keep it simple. Let's start from the beginning. What is Multiverse in your own words? Take us back to the early days in 2016 as you had an aha moment to come build this business.
1: Sure. I started my career in investment banking at Morgan Stanley. I arrived there armed with this degree in ancient history and a master's in international relations that taught me absolutely nothing about corporate debt and derivatives, which was this thing I was supposed to know how to do and was the job I was gonna be doing. And I remember looking around at the group of people I joined with. Nearly everyone was white, nearly everyone was a man, and most strikingly, we'd all come from pretty privileged backgrounds. We had no divine right to be there. We learned everything on the job. This idea that we needed a certain type of credential to be able to go and do it was something that really stuck with me. And I stayed in banking for five years. I wanted to understand how markets work, how capital gets allocated. I knew this would all be useful. But the thing I actually was really interested in was the intersection between education and employment. I ended up joining a company that was helping long-term unemployed people find jobs. And we were working mainly with people with big barriers to the labor market, Um, multi-generational unemployment, um, history of incarceration, disability, various other barriers. Our job was basically to go and find them work. And so I was persuading employers that they could reach incredible talent by actually working with some of these groups. I ended up becoming UK CEO of that organization And we reached this big milestone where we helped 100,000 long-term unemployed people get jobs. Felt like a big victory and was pretty exciting. The challenge was when you started to dig into the data, we could get them a minimum wage check, but it was really hard to argue we were fundamentally changing the direction of their lives. The obsession for me became, what was it going to take to ensure that the best jobs of the next decade, like that job I'd gone into in banking, didn't simply go to all the same people as the best jobs of the last decade? Because if we can't address that conundrum... We're going to end up with a more unequal society. We're going to end up with the fabric of liberal democracies actually being undermined, which we're already seeing. What became clear to me was that degree credential was increasingly becoming a blocker rather than an enabler of social mobility. And actually, the question I asked was, what would you build if you didn't use college to fairly and effectively transition people from full-time education into full-time work? And so it was really from that sort of thought process that multiverse was born, because I learned about apprenticeships. They're this incredible mechanism for teaching people skills on the job. It's an earn and learn model, can be applicable at any stage in your career. And so the idea for Multiverse was, let's take and resurrect this concept of apprenticeships. Let's root them in high-skill, high-growth areas, tech, data, digital, use them to create a much more diverse group of future leaders by first allowing a pipeline of talent without degrees, to enter great jobs in the labor market, but also then providing space for people to reskill and upskill.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the exact pain points and then what the product experience you have built to be able to solve it. What's the product experience that you built to try to solve that.
1: Yeah, let's start with the college piece. There is a fundamental misconception around this entire concept that you need a degree in the first place. Degree requirements in jobs are screening out 76% of black Americans. of Hispanic Americans, actually more than 80% of rural Americans. And yet there's no correlation between academics and job performance. And you've got plenty of brilliant people who learn better in an applied rather than an academic environment. At the same time, college is becoming increasingly unaffordable to much of America. Nearly half of those who go drop out in debt without receiving a degree. Um, Everyone is going to need training and retraining multiple times over the course of what a increasingly long careers. This idea that you do a shot of learning anywhere is pretty outmoded. And then on the other side, you've got businesses saying, we want to reach diverse quality talent that reflects the societies we operate in. We also need a set of skills that we're not getting through the formal education system. This is not working well for them either. Using apprenticeships to basically target high skills needs areas for employers, and then focus on kind of jobs of the future, growth areas, everything else, but also remove any financial burden or or friction for people. An apprenticeship, you get a job, you're getting paid a salary, you get access to coaching and mentoring, you get to join a community with meetups, socials, sports teams, societies. There's a strong kind of network component, access to materials that can help you develop broader skills and, and sort of soft, or we like to call them durable skills, as well as hard skills. There's an opportunity you can take here that's incredibly valuable to you and explicitly linked to a job you might want to pursue and saying to employers, we can find you brilliant people that you're just missing.
0: Why did you specifically decide to build multiverse around white collar roles, things like marketing and business ops? Talk a little bit about the choice of which swim lanes you decided to start in.
1: The fact is the UK and the US, as an example, are both tech and professional services economies. And lots of people want to go and work in those roles, right? right? White collar or no collar roles. And so the idea that you should have to go to college in order to go and pursue those roles doesn't stand up to scrutiny. And then at the same time, if we're going to create an alternative to the current setup of you get a degree and then you go through the workforce and you're learning some things, but most of it's informal, we need to target it uh, areas where you can derive maximum benefit for your own career trajectory and benefit the employers you're working for. And a staggering statistic, by the way, half of the workforce have received no formal training whatsoever over the last five years. So we're leaving people massively shorthanded to deal with the challenges that they're facing in the workplace.
0: What is it like to be an apprentice? Walk us through that. how that sounds. Tell us what it's like to be an apprentice.
1: So you'll hear about us If you are looking for your first job and you don't have a degree through TikTok quite often, actually you might hear about us through Instagram and whether you're in work or whether you're looking for your first job, the journeys are fairly similar. You'll go through an assessment process with us where we're really screening for potential. We're screening for things like grit and resilience. We're screening for things like intent and motivation and the extent to which someone really wants to pursue this, this field they're choosing. Once you go through one of our assessments, if you're successful, you'll be matched with an employer and matched with a coach. And the coach's job is to make sure that they're not simply teaching you a concept. That's actually quite a small part of it. But they're ensuring that as you accumulate the knowledge they're sharing with you and turn it into skills, that you're applying it to solve real problems in the workplace. This is this kind of on-the-job learning component that's at the heart of what we offer. So the coach's job is actually often speaking to your line manager, um, discussing what projects you're working on, and helping you actually go and solve those problems. And then you get access to our community, you'll get to meet people, build relationships, networks. We have 20 events uh, a month, and we've offered things like uh, office hours with the faculty at Harvard Business School, a session with Terry Crews. Um, We'll be doing something with Nicole Kidman next year. There's lots of cool, exciting things that we can offer to people that are beyond just simply learning their
0: program. Teach us your playbook on go-to-market, Ewan, and particularly How have you learned to scale the business?
1: EdTech historically hasn't spent enough time on how you sell to business and in particular how you sell to enterprise because it's so critical and you have to turn it into something that is clear, repeatable, scalable, everything else because companies control the jobs. If we're going to change what the composition of the workforce looks like, we need to ensure that companies see this as in their best interest and not simply a nice thing to do. One of our biggest focuses is how you identify business pain. And particularly linked to either diversity or digital transformation, and then play back how an apprenticeship program can address that pain. And that can take many different guises. So, for example, um, you might be a telco company and you are typically needing to downsize some of your customer support functions because you're finding generative AI is replacing a lot of those jobs. Now, at the same time, you're struggling to hire data scientists and software engineers. You can use an apprenticeship program to retrain and reskill those people into functions that are highly impactful for you, software engineering, data analytics, and and other things, and do that through the mechanism of an apprenticeship. At the same time, you might find that you need to hire diverse talent in any of the nine cities in America we're currently operating in, and we're increasingly expanding. You can use an apprenticeship to go and do that. So we look at companies' strategies, their business plans. We're typically selling to chief technology officers, chief information officers, sometimes CEOs. We, of course, work very closely with HR and talent. But the idea is root the problem we are solving in tangible pain that those executives are experiencing, and then show how an apprenticeship can be the solution.
0: You actually have this quote, Ewan, that I deeply love. You have this amazing quote, which is, we need to get beyond the idea that education is a single shot at learning at the start of your career. To that end, how do you think about the next five to 10 years of what you want to build at Multiverse?
1: Learning has to be a constant thing that people are doing throughout their journeys. And and we all do it. It's just most of the time it's informal formalizing it is massively beneficial to employees, it's massively beneficial to leaders and managers, and it's something we don't do enough of. I think very quickly companies are starting to realize that education and formal training is becoming an expected benefit from their employees. And when I look ahead at Multiverse, we've got this incredible opportunity to not just change the way companies approach how they acquire talent, but actually the way they established programs in the first place. Because I've often said nearly every company has a graduate program. Now that's fine. There's nothing wrong with people having degrees and going that route and everything else. But there's no reason you wouldn't just have an early careers program, where you might have some people with degrees, you might have some people who've done apprenticeships, but they all come into the same place. And then people progress based on merit and what you can offer them and everything else. Every employer, I think that resonates with to a certain extent because they see the value in it. America is a country where there has been an addiction to college for a very long time, and it's not serving people particularly well. And part of the reason for that is there is no genuine alternative. We're positioning apprenticeships as this genuine alternative, and it takes time to come through. But once people start to see that and the kinds of companies we've got who are adopting this and the sort of scale we're talking about, it changes very quickly. Most people, when they look at what happens once they turn 18 and enter the workforce or go to college, are trying to make a clear-eyed decision about what is in my best interest. We can show how apprenticeships can do that. Then we present a really compelling offer.
0: Talk a little bit about what's obvious to you. What do you think is coming in the future of education and ed tech?
1: A lot of ed tech has been far too focused on simply delivering learning or educational content and not enough on actually demonstrating what that content actually unlocks for people. Employers don't actually care about what you know. They care about what you can do. So I hope we see more ed tech companies focus explicitly on the consequences of learning, rather than the learning itself. And the reason I talk about employers is, education has to build towards some sort of purpose that allows you to be successful and upwardly mobile and everything else. So linking it to jobs more is really important. There are lots of trends we're gonna see, some of which is, is is sort of driving. For example, the cost of delivering learning will fall rapidly. AI can now create content by itself, and guess what, it's pretty good. Um, but also you can do much more to personalize learning um, and as a consequence, make that learning far more effective by using generative AI effectively.
0: Any anti-predictions you have, maybe something that's counterculture or something where you don't think it's the future of education. Do you have any of those?
1: When we look at education, we've got to move beyond simply kind of education for its own purpose and more into what is it a lot, not just for you, but for society. And by the way, there is value in broad educations. That is important. It's one of the things I was pretty dogmatic about when we launched our apprenticeships. Don't just teach people skills to be effective in a particular job, partly because that job can change and go, um, you know, as, as jobs change and as the nature of the workforce changes, but also because it is important to be able to think and to be able to learn and to apply broader principles. But we do need to start showing the value of it in a setting beyond the scholastic and the academic
0: what would you say is your best advice to another founder listening about how to be successful in business building
1: it's all about hiring i think it's it's the thing that probably at an early stage not enough founders or ceos spend sufficient time on you are only as good as the people you can bring in you can have the best most compelling vision in the world you can be incredible at articulating it whatever else But if you don't have people who are materially better than you in important areas of the business, you're going to really struggle. And actually, it was something that early on, I thought I was devoting a lot of time to. It's only as you go from early stage to growth stage, you realize, actually, I should be devoting even more time to this. It's just the biggest point of leverage that you have as a leader is the quality of the people you can bring in.
0: And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. You and I, so I'm like, well played, great answer. Um, let's transition a little bit back to you. Um, you grew up in London. I always love to ask if there's something you can think about from your childhood or your youth that you directly attribute to helping you be more successful as a founder.
1: I grew up in pretty unusual circumstances by any stretch of the imagination. Um, My dad was prime minister. I grew up in number 10 Downing Street. That is not a normal existence. And of course, it was a very privileged existence. But I think the thing I took most from it, when your dad's doing a job like that, it's really easy to believe that anything is possible because basically he's just your dad this normal guy it gave me a sense that i could go and do whatever i put my mind to that most people don't get to have it was incredibly fortunate but it was actually one of the biggest things i sort of took from that upbringing i think that matters it was also there was also a big sense of public service and the idea that you need to leave the world a better place than the one you came into so i i never thought i was going to be a founder i actually thought I might go into politics or do something like that, but I actually loved business. I found it really interesting. And as I became increasingly aware that I could marry profit and purpose and focus on an area where I could build an exciting, scalable business that I cared about, but also do something I was deeply passionate about and was not just benefiting me and the people around me and the employees at the company, but broader society, that was incredibly exciting. Um, I'm just... I'm never too introspective about kind of where these things come from, but it's it's always good to get a question that makes you reflect on it.
0: What unlock do you feel like you found transitioning into something that just really more, it was more aligned to your passions and you found this incredible unlock just to being aligned to something you actually really care about. And can you talk a little bit about maybe what that unlocked in your life to be able to do something that you were really passionate about? I'm gonna go ahead and guess you weren't that passionate about investment banking. <laughs> um, so the other. Yeah. I
1: mean, the the thing is, it did. Morgan Stanley was an incredible place to learn. There is there is a discipline, and it's useful prep for any founder of having to work at a hundred hour plus week, and you know having to sweat every detail in a presentation and email and the accountability and all of the other stuff that comes in a job in banking that you'll know very well, Alexa. And no, it wasn't what got me out of bed in the morning. I wasn't incredibly excited about it in and of itself, but I knew those things were important and it taught a whole load of lessons. And I also got to see what happens when the market crashes close up as I was working in banking through 2008. And, you know, you learn that financial metrics matter, unit economics matters, being surrounded by highly focused, commercially savvy people matters. The big thing about being able to do something, though, that is true to what you care about and inherently excites you is that work feels a lot less like work. And and I don't say that in a kind of -of matter-of-fact way, because it's actually really important. When you're a, a founder CEO, most of your life, daily life, is spent on this business And it is so much easier to talk about and promote it and get excited about it and spend your time on it when you feel like this is a core purpose of who you are and what you're supposed to be doing. And I think it's very difficult to give as much of yourself to those jobs as you need to if you're not sort of authentically engaged with it in a deep way.
0: How do you manage the inevitable moments of stress and caring a lot? Because we both just said, it's an extension of your core values It actually means you care more. You don't care less, you care more. What have you learned to cope? How?
1: I'm gonna disappoint you and say, I wish I had good advice to give here. I'm not sure I have that many good tips. I, it's important to have a passion outside work. I'm a football, soccer, to an American audience, fanatic. That helps because if I'm watching a soccer match, it's one of the few times I'm not actually thinking about work. Having kids is immensely helpful. It's actually one of the best things you can do to put everything in perspective. You become much better at prioritizing. It reminds you that there are hugely important things that need your attention that aren't in a work context. It's important to be able to sleep at night. And, and I mean that non-flippantly that, you know, you, you can actually, whatever's gone on in the day or whatever's gone on at work, I'm going to wake up the next morning and know, you know, that it's a new start. It's important to have that kind of cycle to end the day. Always been able to fall asleep pretty quickly whatever's going on in my mind however stressed i am but i think it is really important given everything that goes on and just the amount of energy you need there are lots of learnings you have going through these journeys i think one of the things that you don't realize at the very start is the extent to which how you show up in any situation is being watched by people when you know whether that's a one-to-one whether it's a team meeting whatever other situation you need to try and be the best version of yourself And that's very hard to do if you haven't got at least six hours of sleep.
0: Last question. You know, you've evolved a lot as a leader. You started the company. um, You know, it's scaled immensely. What advice would you have for founders out there about their own evolution and thoughts on any big leadership hack or anything you've done to stay clearly you're continuing to evolve.
1: Yes. And, and, you know, the key is actually as much as I think recognizing that you still have many of those flaws that you had when you started out, you get maybe a bit better at managing them and you have to resist them. And it's a continuous journey and to the theme, right? We are all, we all need to be learning all the time because it's essential. I think the most critical thing for me, probably I've always been a very impatient person, quite an urgent person. It's, Being able to resist this temptation to fix every problem I see immediately and because it can drive your leaders and other people at the company absolutely crazy if you don't resist that temptation. And you can be urgent, but you don't want to be chaotic and you need to be able to rely on others to fix problems that you see and not drive everything yourself. So that is, and you can pick judiciously your moments when you kind of want to add a level of CEO urgency to something, but it just can't be many things and it certainly can't be everything.
0: I'm just laughing because I think you and I have a similar a similar sense of urgency, <laughs> um, which- Yeah, it is, can
1: make you a real pain in the ass to work with.
0: It may It's a real strength and it can be a real weakness. And so- um, I'm just giggling. I, I'm so grateful that you shared that. Um, okay. I want to transition to the quick fire round here. Um, I'm going to ask a question. First thing that comes to your mind, what gets you out of bed every day?
1: This is really easy. My kids, they're, they're three and a half and one and a half. They set the tone for getting out of bed.
0: Yeah. You don't need an alarm clock anymore.
1: Nope.
0: Um, if you think about interviewing, what is your favorite interview question? You've just said people are everything. What do you like to ask to like really get a sense of who somebody is?
1: So I'm very much in favor of a highly structured approach to interviewing. We basically assess for a series of four characteristics, intelligence, character, coachability, and track record. And it's less of a question, but more of an approach, which is your objective is to get as many examples as possible of when the person you're interviewing has demonstrated those qualities. Because actually a lot of interviews can be good conversations, but you struggle sometimes to get beneath the superficial. And so getting people to give tangible examples is really important. Also throwing them off their guard a little bit. I I never like to go through someone's CV or simply the things they've done because you can read that on a piece of paper. It's always actually trying to get into how do they react in certain situations and what does that then evidence about them?
0: I love that. So intelligence, character, Character, coachability, coachability, track track record. Biggest pinch me to moment today.
1: <laughs> it's gotta be the story of one of our apprentices who they they posted this Instagram story that was a picture of them in front of their house. They had a BMW in the drive, and this was an apprentice. They they own this house. They they tagged it. This is the best advert for an apprenticeship you'll ever see. Um, they're 20 years old, they're a software engineer at Meta, and they had basically been told by, I remember speaking to them before as they were going through the process, they've been told that they were self-selecting failure by their their high school teacher if they didn't take whatever college or university would offer them a place. They didn't. They pursued this apprenticeship route. And the fact that it was able to unlock this incredible opportunity for them so early in on their career was just the most obvious, tangible example of, look at what you can do to change one life, never mind many others. It was pretty cool.
0: That's really, really cool. That is such like a clear visual of helping somebody actually realize their potential. Um, what is a book that has left a really big mark upon you? This can be any book, doesn't have to be a business book, doesn't have to be you know startup related, but a book that you've read that really, really made a dent in your life.
1: I recently read a brilliant sports book that stayed with me, Bringing the Heat by Mark Bowden about the Philadelphia Eagles in the early 90s. That was, that was a pretty special book. Um, The Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafon. If you like books and you like nerding out about books, it's kind of a book about books. Alexander of Macedon by Peter Green, if you love a good historical biography that is incredibly dense with references, but yet still very readable. Here We Are by Oliver Jeffers is a brilliant book about just for kids about how to be a human being. Reading is great, not just for escapism, but obviously you know broadening your mind and learning about new things. But I I rarely have a kind of favorite book I would choose. I like to read lots of different types of books.
0: A mantra or a quote that you kind of live by?
1: If it's a quote, my, my favorite quote I like to think of, particularly actually in almost any public speaking scenario, is people will forget what you said or what you did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel, Maya Angelou, which is just a brilliant way of encapsulating that... There are more important things than the sheer content of what it is you're talking about. Actually, the sort of the stuff that really moves people is is often a little bit intangible and you need to be aware of it and think about that. Um, in terms of things, when I, I kind of assess, am I doing the things I'm supposed to be doing? I often go back to make shit happen, which is important because y- you sort of, <laughs> you need that driving impulse to actually make shit happen.
0: Make shit happen. Last question I want to ask is when you think about the next decade and you just like look on that frontier in your mind, what gets you excited? What are you excited about?
1: It won't surprise you that I'll pick something in education, but I actually, and this, this links actually to, to what we're seeing generative AI do at the moment. I think we'll see traditional standardized testing become a thing of the past. And it's frankly long overdue because we've got this incredible opportunity for educators to reimagine how we demonstrate efficacy in education and how we start to align education to real-world outcomes. And I think the fact that technology has reached a stage where it's changed the game because you can no longer rely on a lot of things people have relied on for Decades in many cases to evaluate individuals. I think that's pretty special because it will force innovation. And education is a field where we've seen so little innovation despite everything that's happened in
0: the world. I agree. And I I really, really love that. First of all, Ewan, it has been absolutely remarkable. And you're just such an optimistic human, which is another thing that I just want to compliment you on. Thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you haven't already checked it out, check out multiverse.io. Um, and you can join us next week for Inc. the Founders Project with Alexa Montobal we are rooting for you on every level thank you for furthering humanity forward you're an incredibly special human who's been exposed to so much and the fact that you're doubling down your value system on doing something that is so necessary is just such a great marker of who you are so thank you so much for having uh, for, for joining us today it's an honor to have you
1: it's an honor to be on and thank you for the very very kind words Alexa cheers